Welcome to Inside Out. Without prejudice or boundaries, this space is for raw and vulnerable conversations surrounding health, mental well-being, relationships, parenthood, and so much more. Our goal is to deliver a conversation that will educate and empower you through shared experiences told by inspiring and relatable guests. My name is Chris. I'm a wife, mum, and stepmom who is on a personal journey that cultivates a life of alignment and intention. I hope these conversations encourage you to do the same. Let's dive deep into today's episode. Inside Out, Episode 4. I am honoured to be sharing today's episode with Kurt Fernley. Kurt Fernley represented Australia for 18 years in wheelchair racing and has competed in more than 50 marathons worldwide and brought home multiple gold medals. Kurt spent two weeks in 2009 crawling Papua New Guinea's Kokoda Track, raising awareness and funding for men's health charities Movember and Beyond Blue. Kurt is a passionate disability advocate and devotes himself to a number of national and hunter-based charitable initiatives. In 2019, Kurt was named New South Wales Australian of the Year. Kurt Fernley is an elite Australian sportsman. He is a father and a husband. In today's episode, Kurt shares unforgettable moments in his career. We discuss how he sustains balance in his career and home life. But first, we go back to what Kurt was like growing up as a kid in small country town, Karkor. Well, I guess you would look, I was probably an adventurous kid growing up. Yeah. So uh, my whole family, they were always outside. We were we were an active family. My dad was a labourer. I um my mum was a care worker and uh all the kids I was one of five. My dad was one of eleven of all of his brothers and sisters lived nearby. So wow. we we had dozens of uh dozens of my cousins around so I spent the majority of my my childhood just crawling around the bush looking looking at what they were doing and trying to emulate it as much as possible yeah farm life farm life yeah that loves that um Kurt so you were or are a three-time Paralympic gold medalist two-time Commonwealth Games gold medalist and have won over 30 marathons so you've obviously had a stellar 20 years as a professional athlete um, and you also retired, winning your final gold on the Gold Coast. What impact has your career had on your family life? Oh, look, it's had its, it's, had its positives and, and negatives, I think, for 20 years. For 20 years, my life was uh, jumping on planes and, and, and life was on the road. Mm. Um, uh, it's had its, its positives that were... Um, look the experiences that you get through the athletic lifestyle and you know the 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 experiences in the new york marathon or the london marathon or you know having having um access to uh access to you know pretty unique um moments in life um also the healthy lifestyle part of it i guess that you know, as a as a family unit, even though I'm a I'm happily a has been athlete, we still live that very active outdoors life. The 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 kids they're on the back of the bike since the moment that they've been born. My wife, you know, she's she uh, she ran a marathon. She's on the bike. She's uh, you know engaged in that sort of way as well. So it's had its it's. It's had its challenges, but by far there's there's just some real positives. Um, there's real positives on, I guess, the family unit from from sport. Yeah, so the positives essentially overweigh any negative 
yeah, being on the road is a challenge, right? Like you, you disappear for four or five weeks, you know, like that's that's a big chunk of time to take yeah. out of a, a baby, you know, the first 12 months of a child's life that you just disappear for. Um, but that that's the cost. You, if you want to be the best in the world or if you're trying to get to the top of your sport, then, um, you know, they, they are the sacrifices. And as long as you're, you're able to manage that and talk through that and find out ways to lessen the impact, then you usually get there. Was there a specific um, moment or a catalyst when you said, I just I just don't want to do this anymore, um, prior to retirement the years earlier? Yeah. Um, uh, Rio 2016, yep. probably 20 metres 20 metres before the uh, before the finish line, Marcel Alahug, my, my, my competitor, was passing me and my head just went, you don't need this anymore. Like, you just, you used to need that win. And I was in in first place and quickly going to second place and it was the first time that it was just like, you just don't need it. Yeah. Like, you used to have an intrinsic, absolute need to win mm. and, and that switched off. Um, and it was purely that I was, I was happier in the other parts of my life. Like that, I just didn't need it. And I did hold on for training for two more years and two really challenging years and to get that final win on the Gold Coast. But I, I knew from that moment in the Rio, Rio Paralympic Marathon, I knew from that very moment that the, the end was near. Mm. So you've got two beautiful children, Harry and Amelia, with your wife Sheridan. Talk to me about life in retirement and how that's impacted your family and fatherhood. You know what? I would refer to them as fierce children. I don't think of them as beautiful. They, they on occasion would like to see the world burn. So they, <laughs> they are they're good value. You know, they both love adventures. The little one, uh, we've got a few hundred acres just outside of Newcastle and they both love getting up there and disappearing into the bush. And, and the, yeah, they're, they're, they're just really, really good fun. Um, they, they also they also are challenging, but, um, yeah, we're, 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 we're getting there with them. I think that you want your kids to be a little bit of a handful. Um, uh, the majority of... The majority of life is at the moment is finding adventure where you can with them and making sure that they're still getting they're getting that in the in the challenges that we're currently uh, currently kind of going through. Yeah, and I bet Harry's loving having dad home. I mean, he's the older of the two, so um, he would. Does he remember you being away in that time? Um, no, not really. I don't think he like he never really never really speaks about it. But um, look, I think that. He's happy because I'm here to pay play Beyblades with him and <laughs> all these all those other things and uh, we're going on bike rides every day. We're not like he's just really loving it being on his bike and kids kids at the end of the day they don't care about whether or not you win gold medals. I think that might that might come into life later down the track potentially, but they just want you there. They want you there to do whatever it is that they have on in their life at that moment, whether it is sitting down and, and spinning a spinning a toy, a Beyblade in his little stadium or getting on your bike and 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 going for a ride with him, you know, like I think yeah. 
whether it's that they would take that over you winning a gold medal at a, at a games or a Paralympics or an Olympics any day of the week when they're when they're five or six. I I still remember the first time that Harry was at a games and it was it was Rio and he saw me come up to the what how many years ago he would have only been four three or four yeah. and he saw me go up to the starting line of the five thousand meters and they were right on the start line and. He was just crying because I couldn't come over and give him a hug because, oh. you know, in every lap that I would pass him would be a lap every time I'd come close and I'd go away again. It was just, oh. why, are you, why are you leaving me? You know what I mean? So uh, I just think that, yeah, he's he's happy because I'm, I'm more in his life and that's, that's what kids want. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, Kurt, the other side of your training career when you're an elite athlete is nutrition and diet. So I know that played a huge role in your career as well. What was your diet like during these crazy training regimes? Yeah, when you would when you would get close to competition, you would you would really tighten the screws and look for the one percenters in every part of life. And diet was one where you could make massive gains if you hadn't if you hadn't altered it. Um, in general, you just try and eat. You you try and eat just as fresh and as less amount of you know the 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 luxury foods as you possibly can. Um, but you know, leading into it, you would you would manage it down to a down to a pretty fine amount that you knew that you were eating a certain amount of meat, and it's very little pastas really ever. Most of the stuff that you were eating it was all about trying to replenish muscles and make sure that you're light enough to have another crack the next day so uh, but yeah i would also i'd also release and you know enjoy enjoy life as soon as the competition was over i kind of found balance in balance in managing my diet over a 12-month period of time rather than constantly constantly uh managing the I guess the ins and outs every single day, seven days a week. Yeah, just kept stay consistent. Yeah, I would stay consistent, and I would I would tighten the screws when I needed to, but I'd also let off and let off and have you know twenty chicken nuggets and whatever else I wanted to chow down on. Just made sure that I had a release valve, and after the competition, I was able to just kind of not think about not think about anything for a little bit because you know you want to you want to be an athlete for 20 years not two years you know you want to make sure that you're there for the long term and for me things needed to be sustainable which needed needed to needed to have that you know have that time off where you hang out with your friends and you play out yeah on a uh, on a race day what would your diet look like race day would be i would wake up and have uh, immediately I'd probably have a banana then I would drink about a liter of sports drink just over probably a two-hour period probably actually two and a half to three hours before you actually started the race and over that time I'd have anywhere from two to four six espressos as well wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> you wouldn't you would um, you would get to that start line and the adrenaline would be up because most times you would start and it just need to be on the rivet and you wouldn't want anything solid in your belly so you wouldn't want any solid food because you crush your diaphragm while you're in the race chair so you you just want to be able to make sure that you can um you, you're not throwing up the whole race because there's just so much pressure in your belly 
Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, that would have been really, really good to have that balance as well, just consistently throughout the twelve months of you know going from one event. Sometimes I'm sure you do way more events than that, um, but going from one marathon to you know a gold medalist event or whatever, then you know having that balance of nutrition throughout would have been really good for your healthy lifestyle with your family as well at home. Yeah, being able to switch off and you know enjoy the same sort of food that uh, you'd like to go out to dinner and enjoy life with with Sheridan, like life, you, you know, a little bit um, not unscripted, what I think, and a little bit kind of like just less pressure, you know, just being yeah. a little bit easy on your on yourself. It just, yeah, it's for me, it's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Kurt, managing mental health is a challenge for all persons, athletes and non-athletes. Um, I recently read an article released by the Journal of Science and Medicine in Sports on common mental disorders within the Australian elite athletes. The assessment covered depression, eating disorders, psychological distress, social anxiety and uh, panic disorder. And it was interesting, about 46.4% of athletes were experiencing symptoms of at least one of the mental health problems, with over 27% of athletes suffering depression. As a professional athlete competing in non-team events, I would imagine you may have had some dark and lonely experiences. Are you comfortable to discuss your personal demons? And if so, I'd love to digress into mental health challenges, specifically um, of non-able-bodied athletes. Look, I think that me personally, I've been able to keep um, keep on top of my mental health. Uh, it's been something that I think that balance that I spoke about in diet of being able to have those moments away from sport, away from away from the bubble has has definitely helped but also being physically active and you know spending time outside with your head up and 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 you know it's all it's all about variation and balance also having external experiences like going through uni uh studying as a as a teacher um working in the developing world uh seeing my friends my friends are around me none of them are from my my athletic lifestyle none of them are from that bubble they are all you know they are all out in the world experiencing the challenges that small businesses and and uh, management companies or whatever it may be uh, marketing companies whatever challenges the world is throwing at that industry i get to see that through the variation of friends i think that they can be the experience of some athletes that they are kept away from all of that that they their experiences aren't varied. Their experiences are uh, focused in on the, you know, the success or failure of one session, and that they are the they are nothing but the culmination of their next training session. Uh, the end, and there are just the the pre, I guess the the uh, the, the prerequisites or those who are just more likely to to find themselves in in the battles around mental health. Um, I I I I think in in sport, in sport, there is just so much pressure and control placed on that individual that they can be exacerbated. Um, but, but yeah, me personally, me personally, I've never, uh, fortunately, never went went down that way. Okay, awesome. You've carried um, the pressures, though, also of being an inspiration in the wider Australian public, and, and there's no doubt that that would have amplified amongst the um, non-abled body athletics community. As uplifting as that would have felt at times, the flip is the weight that that must have put on your shoulders. How did you manage those pressures? 
look, I always used to tell myself that there's no weight there. There are only people that are lifting me up. And it's all about trying to shift the frame in which that interaction is is held within you. And I just, I would do, I would repeat to myself that, you know, leading into the Commonwealth Games, into that final race, every every time I'd go outside, there would be 50 or just people on top of you being a, you know, and and... and it was pretty intense. Like it was pretty, it was pretty full on in, in 2018, but you just used to, you just used to try and say that, 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 that every single person that stops you, that talks about what's going on, that it's, they just, they want to give you something to make you go, go, go faster. They want to, they want to be a part of, and they've been a part of your journey for so long that it, you know, like you don't you don't use that as a weight. That has to be something that you, that amplifies you, that gives you something. And and I would um, I would remind myself, I'm like positive affirmation, visualization. You know, these are things that we pump into our our, our young professional athletes or budding athletes. We should, we should be talking about that with everybody, like. Trying to tell yourself those those things that you're grateful for, and sitting down and sitting down and seeing whatever it is that you're doing, whatever task that you're undertaking, just saying that you're going to nail it, that you're you're going to nail it, you're going to get there, and then breaking down the issue from there. And for me, for me, it just it just works. So I I never really felt the pressure as anything other than something that. Something that meant me, uh, something that meant me to go good, something that wanted to add to me uh, or my performance. So that's awesome. Yeah. Really positive. Just going back to your training, um, Kurt, outside, you know, when you're going through the training regimes leading into your events, outside of every fibre in your body screaming you to stop during those hours and hours. What resources would you lean on for support during these moments to push through and keep going? Look, I think it's always handy to it's always handy to be held accountable. I always found it great to have an external voice, whether it was my coach in in wheelchair racing, who was Andrew Dawes or Drew Duggan in the in the PT in the in the in the engine building, the cardio building, or strength building phases. And like just having somebody there to see what you're doing and to reinforce or push you in the right direction. That was always, that was also always valuable. And yeah. it could be, it could be like, I just don't know why that's not taken over into other industries more that coaching in sport is the reason why we get these just outstanding performances, but the coaching and those who are around to add advice and help that could add to every part of someone's life, being able to, rely on someone or seek advice that's something that is just from a from a third party from an external party it's something that just allows things to be broken down and allows things to be seen with new eyes and shaped into a a, a, a better thing or, or 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 it allows you to be pushed or um, shaped into a direction that you you would like to go in but because you're in the middle of it it can be a little overwhelming and you can get lost yeah, usually um, a coach would also they they might not have a professional um, education educational background in the field, but the a PT will have some education understanding on mindset work and you know mental health and things, and they can usually help you with that as well. Yeah, yeah, and they can also 
they get the the more that they know you, the more that they can assess what works for you and adjust adjust along the way. Because there is no one size fits all. Every person is motivated. Every person learns in a completely different way. And a and a good coach, a good PT will will uh, take note of that. Yeah. Moving on uh, to the disabled athletic community, um, excluding a select you disabled athletes don't receive the resources sponsorship um, funding and fanfare of able-bodied athletes but the dedication the training for hours weeks years coupled with the general life challenges of having a disability how rife is depression and mental health as a whole in that community and what resources are there available to those athletes in that community yeah there's a lot of people that it's funny when when you enter life with uh, with a disability, whether that be through birth or through through um, uh, alteration in your life experience. There's a lot of people link the the forget to separate the mental health aspects of life and experiencing life with a disability. They they are they're two very very different things. You need to adjust life to disability and adjust your mental health and your ability to be able to access people around you and resources to get you out of or to put lifelong changes in your in your um, as a part of you to adjust for your mental health as well i always treat them as completely different um look the, the sport itself the sport was the reason the heart and soul of the sport the reason why the characters are within the sport is that we were we were not born out of you know those seeking those seeking riches or reward we were we were born out of the rehabilitation hospitals of world war 2 where people where people were trying to find what was possible in life when they were told that they were broken when they were told that they were less than mm-hmm. uh, and and that is the heart and soul of the paralympic movement so we are we 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 don't we don't receive on the whole the same support or the same re- recognition of our uh, our non-disabled peers but for me that is that is almost one of the that's part of the reason that out of that hardship there is an incredible community that is within it there is a community that is proud that is fierce that has some of the most beautiful, strong, productive moments of my life have been within the Paralympic community, within the community of people with disabilities. So, look, I, I find that there, there is, uh, there, you know, there is a lot of, uh, there are mental health issues that go in every single community, but, but often, mental health doesn't see this, doesn't, it's not defined by disability. That's the reason it. it it hits every person and can hit every person in every corner of the world, regardless of who they are or how they look like or how they interact with the world. And I, I yeah, I just it, I find it hard to speak about the because it is something that is so far-reaching. I find it hard to really nail down on any difference of interaction with mental health or, or depression and disability itself because it's just like it's it just depends on on the person you can be someone who we perceive to have every part of this world covered and then close the door in your house and go down a dark hole and not be able to look at yourself Mm. or you you can be a person who 
99% of the world will look at and see all of these perceived vulnerabilities and, 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 you know, around disability, all of these perceptions that aren't real around disability. And that, that person where we perceive this person to be, you know, in a, in a real vulnerable place goes into those same four walls of their house and sees nothing but beauty and love and kindness and hope and light. So I, I just find it hard to make one kind of general rule around that. Yeah. Kurt, do you have an ongoing uh, mentor role in the Paralympic community still? Uh, look, I've got uh, this year I've got six six um, uh, athletes that are on the Kurt Fernley Scholarship that are Paralympic athletes that are um, uh, hoping to uh, hoping to compete in the Commonwealth Games. They're um, what I think they're from fourteen years, maybe thirteen years to eighteen years old. Also sit on uh, the the International Paralympic Committee, the Athlete Council. Um, I sit on the board of Sport Australia. Um, also, you know, there's still plenty of athletes that I try and call once a month to check in and see how they're going and making sure that I can, making sure that if there's anything that I can do to keep them on the path, then, then I do that as well. Yeah, staying connected, that's good. For sure. No doubt in your competitive career, your measure of success was surrounding winning. How has your value of success changed post-competing? Um, Look, there, there needs to be there needs to be value in whatever it is that I do. Like how, you know, what day to day life, day to day life. What's the what's the goal? You know what I mean? Like, is it there needs to be a part of um, how am I, you know, how am I over a period of twelve months? How am I making something better? You know, like how am I how am I interacting with community and just leaving something positive behind? Um, so, you know, over the last being being over the last few years, setting up a work part of life as well, and that interacting with the employment of people with disability, increasing that. How how am I over a twelve month period turning? You know, we were working with an organisation that had three hundred and eighty people with disabilities employed. We we're trying to get to five hundred, but now it's take an adjustment backwards but we will work back when the when the time comes uh, you know like I'm doing a bit of work with uh, with you know the, the the there's dozens of different places but say if one percent of my working life is about what can I do to ensure that the Kurt Fernley Center which is a an education center in the slums of uh, Nairobi uh, it's in Makuru slum it's got 75 kids with disabilities. What am I doing over this 12-month period of time that will make it more sustainable in the long term? It's about making sure that there is a why, a purpose behind who I am, behind what I'm doing. And, you know, like it was racing. It was that, that medal for so long. But now it's now it's much more substantial. Yeah, it's incredible what you're doing in the community, Kurt. You should be very, very proud of yourself. It's, um, uh, I go all right every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> Kurt, I have one last question before you go. Um, I hear you're a good mate of Dylan Alcott. 
You guys have some uncanny similar resemblance as well as being two of the most recognisable wheelchair athletes in the country. My husband has asked me to ask you, <laughs> do you guys get recognised as one another a lot? Yeah, well, yeah, like I think that I used to, I used to get less of it. Um, Dylan used to get asked whether he was, uh, he was, he was me quite a lot, but that has switched, and I get Dylan all the time. So not in not in Newcastle, but if I go south of the Murray, if I head down into into yeah. uh, Victoria, it is constant. <laughs> And um, and people are so intense. They're so intent on making sure that you're not. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Yes, you are. <laughs> no, I'm not. Definitely not. So yeah, it's it's fairly current. It's fairly constant. I can't believe people ask you if you're sure that you're not. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then it's, it just gets it just gets so embarrassing and long and drawn out. So if uh, if you do find any, you do confuse me for Dylan. Believe me, I'm not. <laughs> Kurt, thank you so much for joining me today. I've loved catching up with you. Uh, for anyone that wants to get connected with Kurt, his Instagram handle is Kurt Fernley Insta, and you can also tune into his podcast, Kurt Fernley's Tiny Island, where he shares some amazing stories with Aussies and what it's meant to be Australian. Thank you again, Kurt. Beauty, no problems. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.